Hey, uh, thanks thanks for being here today. Um, I know that we've got some families that are traveling for spring break, going on a vacation, visiting friends, families in other parts of the country. But uh, for those of us that are staying local, staycationing, uh, man, it's it's good to be here this morning. Um, we've got a, a unique morning planned. It, it's been good day of worship so far. As uh, Daniel mentioned, we've got children in here with us today. And so we're glad to have your families with us worshiping together. Um, if you're new here with us today, my name is Caleb Gabrelli, and I'm an associate pastor here um, leading our missions ministry. And uh, Pastor Mike down here and Randy Willis and just an incredible group from our church just returned late last night, actually, from a trip to Greece and Turkey where they were able to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And I was talking with Randy this morning, and, you know, he's just saying, man, Scripture just comes to life. When you're in a place like that. And so what, what an incredible opportunity they had. I've been keeping up with some of their social media posts and I'm kind of anxious to hear some of the stories because definitely a little bit of jealousy there for what they were able to experience. But we're glad to have them back. Uh, before they left some time ago, Mike had asked me if I'd be interested in speaking today. So here I am. And I feel like I'm cheating just a little bit as we go through this Roman series because today I get to share the good news. And for weeks, we've kind of been hearing gloom and doom as Paul works his way through Romans, but it's going to be a good day. Uh, speaking of families coming into worship together today, um, I have a wife, Amanda. We have four children. Three of those are boys. One is a, our little girl, um, not in that order, but all of our kids have gone through a superhero phase. Um, whether that is looking forward to the latest Marvel comics movie that's coming out or whether that is wanting to dress up as a specific character for Halloween. They've loved superheroes. Any kids in here today love superheroes? Yeah. Jeremy Sullivan, perfect child right there. Yeah. Appreciate your honesty, Jeremy. Um, Hey, listen, every night, whenever I tuck in our three-year-old daughter, Alyssa into bed, I always let her pick a story from the Jesus storybook Bible. And 90% of the time, she'll, she'll turn to the story of David and Goliath. And even if she wants to pick another story, first we have to read the ending of David and Goliath, and then we go on to another one. But, but she loves starting at the end. And if you know much about the Jesus Storybook Bible, or maybe you can just use your imagination here because it's a kid's Bible, it's, it's pretty simplified, but it never misses the main point. That's what I love about that kid's Bible. And what I love about my daughter is that she's learned to look for the main point. And so the story goes like this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, David and Goliath. After David defeats Goliath, the Philistines run away and all the people cheered because God had saved his people. David was a hero. This is how I read it to her. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. And this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. And I, I look at my daughter, I still do this all the time. First, I had to teach her the answer. But, but now I say, Lissa, do you know the hero that God sends for his people? Jesus! Every night, that's what she does. In her own three-year-old way of processing, she has learned that the story of David and Goliath actually points to a much bigger story, the coming of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to continue on in our message series through Romans. And our text is all going to be centered around us needing rescued by a hero. So quick recap, if you're visiting with us today, or, or maybe you just need a little refresher. Um, where we are is that Paul has been revealing this situation for humanity. Up until this point in the book of Romans, the first chapter, the second chapter, even halfway through the third chapter, Paul is giving us the crisis and the problem that mankind seemed to be in. And if you're here last week, then you know that Paul is writing about a problem 
and that we're all part of the problem. That's how our speaker, Michael DeFazio, set it up last week. There's a problem, and we're all part of that problem. We're all broken. No one can get right with God regardless of who they are or what they've done. As people, we don't possess that ability on our own to unbreak ourselves. My buddy, Pete Finfrock, who um, is currently a missionary in the Middle East, um, every time he kind of shares his story, he goes, man, before I knew Jesus, my life was just jacked up. (laughs) That's how he starts his story. And he's just real raw and says, I was just, dude, brother, I was jacked up. And it kind of sounds funny, but but that's true for all of us. Before Jesus, we're, we're a mess. We are broken beyond repair. When you come to that realization that your life is a mess, God willing, you get there. Then a passage of scripture like this this morning is so, so sweet. It's not like when you come across this or read it or hear it preached that you go, man, that is good. I'm, I'm going to come back to that sometime. I'll keep that one over here in my journal. Uh, uh-uh. It's like, man, I absolutely have to have this without this. Where does it leave me? Finished, dead, hopeless, done. That, that's where we're left. So we're going to jump into Romans 321. Because we're going to finish this chapter today, and then um, I actually want to touch on a couple of things in chapter 4, so we've got some ground to cover. And let me just tell you how I've kind of planned this to go. We're going to work through some things this morning that might require a reset for some of us, a reset in our understanding, maybe a reset in thinking, maybe a reset in the overall foundation of our faith. That's a pretty bold statement. But resets are okay. In fact, for me, I don't know about you, but I I rely on resets in multiple faucets of my life. I love resets. Um, If you're a kid in here today and you love playing uh, video games, or if you're just a child at heart, then you know like the Super Nintendo Classic has a power button and has a reset button. And when you're not doing so good, all it takes is just slipping your hand up there and hitting reset and boom, fresh start, just like that. I got new lives. Or if you're a golfer, then how many of you play golf? Oh, quite a few. Mulligans are basically resets, you know, and you take them, you know, you take mulligans and iPhone users. We absolutely have to have resets. Am I right? Yes. You know that I am Romans chapter three. That's where we're going to be this morning. Talking about resets. Verse 21. We're going to start with two words. This is what Paul writes. He says, but now, and we're going to pause there for a moment. And we're, we're going to go back before we go forward. I'm only two words in, but this is important. Do you guys remember how we ended last week? Because if you remember right, the first part of this chapter is not good in chapter three of Romans. And I'm going to speed read some of this for you. This is a recap of what we covered last week. It's the situation, the the, the summary for all of mankind. Why is that important to go back and read that? What? Why do we need to know how broken we are? Well, good news is only good news if we first understand how bad the bad news really is. Chapter three, verse nine. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace. They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is pretty heavy stuff, and we really dug into it last week as as we looked at the text. But I felt like it was important to start with it again. The intent of God through the writing of Paul here in clearly exposing our sinfulness isn't to make us feel bad. It's to make us feel desperate. Keith Krell wrote this in an article about our passage of scripture this morning. This is what he said about Romans 3.20. You know, we just ended with, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. This is what he said about that. And then jumping over to this shift in direction. But now here's what he said. It's a deep canyon. A wide gap separating our condition and God's character. We're sinful. God is holy. How can we bridge the gap? How can we go from one side to the other? We can't. But this is where the good news begins. Paul informs us that God does what we cannot do. This is not only the heart of Romans. It's likely the greatest paragraph in the entire Bible. Therefore, if we fail to understand this passage accurately, we'll be unable to grasp the central message of the scriptures. For it's here that we see who we are, who God is, and what God has done for us. If there's one passage of scripture to become an expert on, let it be this one. He's not done yet. He says, before you spend lots of time looking for principles in the Bible and career success personal affluence, before scouring the text on ideas for how to change your wife, your husband, your kids, your marriage, your parents, your pastor, your church. Look at Romans 3.21 and following. Meditate on it. Study it. It will change your life. No pressure here, right? All right. Well, with that being said, uh, let's get started. Verse 21, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, where then is boasting? It is excluded on what principle on that of observing the law. No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. If we jump back and take this down verse by verse, starting in verse 21, This righteousness from God that Paul is writing about is separate from the law. It's separate from works. It's separate from anything that we could ever do on our own. And for some of us here today, we might need to hit the reset button right here. And and, and that's okay. Because as we read through this text and we study it, and maybe as you read through it this week, there's a chance that we're going to have to hit the reset button multiple times. 
But the reset here would be to go back and to fully grasp that this righteousness from God doesn't partner with good behavior or works on your behalf to keep the rules or achieve righteous standing by obeying law. If you're taking notes this morning, God's righteousness has been revealed through Jesus Christ. This is from God. He provided this. There's a fancy word for this called imputation, meaning he bestowed it upon us. He gifted it to us. He imputed it. He ascribed it to us. Isaiah 61.10 says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Christ took our sins upon himself, and he put his righteousness on us. Just that easy. And just know that God's righteousness is his perfection. It's his justice, his holiness. He is perfect in every way. God sets the standard for righteousness. It's who he is. And then when Paul says, this is apart from the law. In this context, he's speaking of the Mosaic law. The, the rules that God gave through Moses, the Ten Commandments for his chosen people. You can go back and read through Exodus chapter 20, all through Leviticus, the first five books of the Bible. They, they get pretty detailed in parts. Now, keep in mind that the law was, was very complicated. It was this list of rules and codes, and it had been established in order for man to be able to approach God. Why? Well, back to that description of God. He's a perfect and righteous God. So... We must be righteous to connect with a holy and perfect and righteous God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 25 says, If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might recall that Mike suggested we go back to the Old Testament in order to understand how some of this relates in the New Testament. So the law was put in place following the disaster of Adam and Eve that we know about in the garden. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you're, you're vaguely familiar with the fact that they ate the forbidden fruit, right? They disobeyed God. In Genesis chapter 3, we find what is often referred to as the fall of man. This is the moment in history when man could no longer be connected to God like we once were. So talk about jacked up. This is where everything gets messy. And a system ends up coming into place in order for man to have a relationship with a holy God. And the Old Testament is there for generations and generations and generations with the law saying, do this, do this, do, do this. But there isn't a fully obedient doer until Jesus shows up. And so this righteousness that Paul writes about it's not about sacrifices and systems anymore. And this isn't dependent on man's behavior in order to approach a holy God because man has proved that we can't fully do everything needed to attain righteous standing on our own. That was a temporary system. I don't want to spend too much time on this this morning, but at the same time, I feel like this is pretty vital to the text. This is pretty vital to understand the gospel. We love that term, the good news. To have, to have a full understanding of this. So we're going to press in a little bit more. When Paul says this righteousness is from God, it's apart from the law, that's different, but it shouldn't be new. It really shouldn't be anything new to us. Um, the, the text says uh, the law and the prophets testified to this. 
Some of your translations might say this was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Another translation says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The point is individuals and prophets throughout the Old Testament, they knew about the coming Messiah because God had been pointing towards it. Everything had been pointing towards the coming of Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. We see this in the Bible. In John 5, 46, we even find Jesus saying, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. The, the law didn't stand alone as some crazy form of structure. Although when you go back and you read through it, there's, there's some pretty cool, pretty radical things. It's, it's pretty crazy. A lot of it, but it pointed towards Jesus who ultimately came to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter five, verse 17, Jesus said, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So for years and years, prophets pointed towards Jesus. And now this righteousness from God is unveiled, uh, revealed through Jesus. Verse 22, we're just inching our way through here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe And so from reading that, I'm thinking, okay, um, I I better believe. And my belief better come from an understanding that this this right standing with God comes from nothing that I could ever say or do. Uh, This doesn't really pertain to how much I attend church, how much good I do within the community. This isn't attained from, from going on mission trips or reading my Bible a certain amount of times a day or even praying a certain amount of hours a day. This doesn't pertain to getting involved in biblical community with one another's. Listen carefully, because a misunderstanding here could be really dangerous. All of those things are incredibly good and very likely evidence of of, of where our priorities are, where our heart is, what what we value. But I want to get something really clear and not mess this up, because this is big. This righteousness that Paul writes about is apart from the law. This is given through faith in Jesus. So we absolutely cannot do any of those things in expectation that they are what make us righteous. Instead, all of those behaviors and choices to commit to church and go on global adventures and do good in the community and read and pray, all of those come from an understanding of our brokenness and understanding how messed up and jacked up we are and how without this righteousness that God provides Through this act of Jesus, man, we'd be doomed, done, finished, the end. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Again, for some, that this requires a reset, perhaps understanding for the very first time an accurate representation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I like how J.D. Greer says it. He says, there is nothing I can do, nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. And then Louis Giglio, he said, sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. The gospel doesn't make us better. The gospel makes us alive. When we come to this understanding, church, we, we don't burn out. We don't get tired of meeting together with a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't stop or question generous giving to ministry budgets or serving in the church or living life on mission as the church. Instead, we rejoice and we worship 
and we humbly submit to God's holiness. Why? Because God chose to make us righteous through the work of Christ on the cross. Amen. Man, I, I wish I had more time to dig into just verse 21 and 22 even more. Because the entire Old Testament is jam-packed with stories that point to the coming Messiah. And when you have an understanding and you begin to see that the Bible is just one big story, then you begin to have these aha moments where you're reading through your daily Bible reading. And if you maybe started chronological and at the beginning of the year, you're probably around Leviticus or, or numbers right now. And you're going, man, what am I doing? But then you're going, oh my goodness, this connects. I, I see how this, this, this relates to the New Testament. God's righteousness has been revealed through Jesus Christ. I would encourage you guys to spend time this week just, just reading over this passage over and over. Praise you read through it. Discuss it as a family. Talk about it in your communitas groups. Um, pray for Daniel Franklin, who's going to be speaking this with, to 6th to 12th graders in Fusion and Forge in the coming week. And then my hope this morning is that God's word leaves you wanting more. That's my desire is that you leave here going, man, I don't know about some of that. I, I'm going to dig in. I want to read some of this. That's my hope. Another area that we might need to reset in understanding is that God's righteousness is available for everyone. I read the BBC news on a daily basis and I just scroll through the app on my phone and some of the, some of the headlines I just read and go, oh my gosh, I wonder what that's about. And then other ones I, I click and I read the article. And it just seems like the world is crazier than it's ever been. Maybe I'm just now paying attention because for so many years, maybe I was just blind to it, or maybe I didn't read world news. It seems like our own nation is crazier than it's ever been. Churches are divided. Families are divided. Schools are divided. Races are still divided. Nations are hating other nations. Wars, threats of, of nuclear threats are, are being made on a daily basis now. And here's the deal. I'm not going to say anything that hasn't already been suggested, but I think it's time that we believe this and we begin speaking it into our own lives and then the lives of others as well. The ultimate answer, it isn't taxes. It isn't better laws. It isn't better government. It's not better politicians. It's not better presidents. The ultimate answer is for all people to come to an understanding that we're all equally messed up. We are broken people who are all at fault. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus went to the cross for everyone. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now I'm, I'm no English major in the sense of diagramming sentences. My wife teases me all the time because as she homeschools our kids, man, they're masters at this and I'm just not. But this is, this one's pretty simple. Paul uses the noun faith and the verb believe to emphasize the sole condition of God's righteousness. There are almost 200 verses in the Bible that use the words believe and faith as the sole condition for salvation. That's it. Pretty easy equation. But we have to recognize that we are saved through faith, not by faith. Faith is merely the means. What is important is the object. Okay, we, we, You can place your faith in Buddha or all the gods of Hinduism or on all your works, but it's the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. We have to have the right object. This means that all are welcome who will believe 
in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God's righteousness, his good news, it's not guaranteed for everyone, but it is available to anyone. I'm pretty sure Paul levels the playing field right here with this idea. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His writing here is pretty unique. He's basically saying that the worst person you can possibly imagine. Pause for a second and think of that individual. Not someone that you know, man, they're terrible, right? But just this, this person that's evil that you know of in the world, just like there's no way they're entering the kingdom of heaven. Bring that person to mind. Paul is writing that, that the reason that that person can be saved, it's not because they're not as bad as you think they are. No, no, they're bad. Paul is saying it's because you're just as bad as them. If anyone can get saved, then anyone can get saved because none of us can possibly measure up to the glory of God. That's the bar that has been set and everyone falls short of that. Talk about a reset in thinking here. The worst person living on the earth today has the same availability to God's righteousness as the best person you can possibly think of. Why is that? Because no one measures up to God's glory. We cannot attain that level. Think about Paul. He's the writer of Romans, the majority of the New Testament. I don't think it was any accident that God chose to use this man. Think about what we know of him. He killed Christians. He persecuted the church. His, his intent was to destroy Christianity. And then we find that he writes a letter to this young man named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, this is what he writes. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. In the same way that sin makes all of us deserve hell, God provided an equal opportunity for all of us to deserve heaven. I want to give you one more possible reset that we might need. God's righteousness does amazing things. Maybe, maybe you need to hit the reset button right there. It's God's righteousness that does amazing things. Listen, for some of you here today, maybe you're not hearing anything new that you haven't already heard before. But if we have lost any desire whatsoever to worship our creator, our, our king, our savior, our rescuer, our superhero who came to do battle with sin and death then we absolutely need to hit the reset button. And this passage in Romans, I believe, is the perfect place to be. I dare you just to, to pray and ask God to give you fresh perspective and fresh passion. And be careful because God might might move you to going, hey, I, yeah, I need to reset some of my thinking. And maybe for some of us, God's going to move us to saying, man, I, I think I need to start over in the way that I'm articulating the gospel and the good news. Aaron Coe, in his book, Life on Mission, this is what he said. He said, every other religious idea in the world primarily gives advice for one's life, whereas the gospel is an announcement of good news that transforms a life. He goes on to say, before you think, hey, I get the gospel. I know the gospel. I know why I'm on mission. Remember, the gospel is not something you simply get. It is something that you grow deeper in throughout your life. 
God's righteousness does amazing things. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We fall short, so we're justified freely. How? By his grace. I once heard someone use the acronym for grace, um, God's riches at Christ's expense. We're made right. We're declared righteous. This cost us nothing. It's free. He takes away our sin and then he goes, I'm making you just. We meet the qualification of God's glory through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul continues on with this thought, further explaining this redemption. Um, This word redemption is a term that was used in slave trade of Paul's day. It pictures the release of a slave by the paying of a price. And so since all people were under sin, And condemned by law, God offered us a solution to our predicament. Jesus came. He went to the cross for our sins. He paid a ransom price to deliver us, to set us free, if we will believe. Galatians 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if I could keep the law, uh, sorry, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. We're going to push through to the end here. Um, I ran out of time in the first gathering too, but Mike's going to have a whole lot of material to cover in Romans if I don't, if I don't speed up. Um, but I, 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 we're, 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 going to, we're going to go slow and that's okay. This is important. Verses 25 and 26. Paul uses a word here that you'll find in the ESV translation. Maybe you'll find it in, in, in older churches that maybe are speaking King James. And you might hear this at some point in your life, and I think we should know what he's trying to say here. And so I'm going to read this from the ESV. He writes, whom God put forward as a propitiation, there's our word, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, my understanding of this word propitiation is basically paying a ransom to appease God. There was a cost and there was a sacrifice, but where some people get really upset with this idea is they don't like the idea of God being angry and that he's going to judge people and that Jesus just kind of sort of comes and gets in between me and an angry God. But God's wrath, his anger here, it's not like the sinful anger of man. It's not the same. Injustice demands payment for sin. I mean, honestly, it would be unrighteous of God if you were to simply ignore sin. If you're not so sure about this idea of God's wrath, then check out Romans 2, 5, and 6. Paul talks about the wrath that is being stored up. And that's not the only place. If you're taking notes, Romans 3, verse 5. Romans 1.18, Romans 2.8. You can read about it in, in a whole nother book, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. I'll read to you in the Gospel of John, for chapter 3, verse 36. He writes this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So what did he do? He demonstrated his justice, his righteousness, by providing Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation for our sin. 
The perfect life of Jesus that he lived led to the perfect sacrifice to fully appease God's wrath against sin. Second Corinthians 5 21 beautifully sums this up. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And then once again, in verse 25, we, we see that this is through faith in his blood. Verse 27, where then is boasting? And I'll just paraphrase here. Paul, Paul goes on to say that it's excluded. And again, he reemphasizes that we aren't saved through the law. And we don't have time to break down chapter four, verse by verse, but I want to read to you the beginning and the end in the message translation. I just, I just like the way that it's worded. And this is going to give you some idea of where Paul continues on with this thought, with his writing. Verses one through three in the message read like this. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. And then the end of chapter four reads like this again in the message translation says, that's why it is said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham. It's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrificed Jesus made us fit for God and set us right with God. Let's look at Ephesians 2 again. This time I'm going to read verse 8 and verse 9. Paul writes, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is God's righteousness that does amazing things. This is not an Abraham story. It's a God story. This isn't a Caleb story. It's a God story. This is not a you story. This is a bigger picture. This is a God story. And as awesome as a man that Abraham was, and even though we look to him as this godly, faithful guy, there's so much to learn from Abraham. We, we, we sing songs calling Father Abraham when we're little. The word says that he wasn't justified by his works. And so there's no way to boast. And when you read in your Bibles this week, God willing that you'll study back through this. While chapter four takes what initially appears to be this hard shift in direction, really Paul is just continuing on writing the truth and reality of the gospel, a possible reset in thinking and understanding that God's righteousness does amazing things, that it is freely given to anyone and that it comes by grace through faith. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, this passage, we heard a guy quoted earlier, is possibly the best paragraph in the entire Bible. Man, there's no better place to start if if you're not sure if you're ready to follow Jesus yet. Start here. Come have a conversation with me. Come talk with Pastor Mike. Find any of our staff that, that are here. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, then I'm just gonna close by giving you three quick ways that that maybe this fleshes out. How does this reset flesh out? Three quick ways. Number one, when we present the gospel, and I hope that we present the gospel to people, but when we present the gospel, we cannot avoid the emphasis of sin. 
Back to last week where, where judging is a big deal. I'm not saying condemn people, call them out and say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you need Jesus. It's not that. But unless we understand how bad the bad news truly is, then we don't have a need for a savior. And there's people within our country like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to be a better person. No, listen, the end, the end is death without Jesus. Number two, when we, when we, we need to begin to see fellow believers as those who have been justified. God sees those who, who, who believe by grace through faith. He sees us through the lens, through the filter of Christ's work on the cross. Lastly, when we present the gospel, not if, when we present the gospel, we need to be sure to present an accurate gospel. That God does what we cannot do. It's, it's not about what we've done. It's not about what we do. God does what we cannot do. God has made us righteous. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, God, th- thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray that we just leave here today focused on Jesus. God, maybe in this process of you perhaps resetting some of our thinking, you'll just replace any thinking of, well, what if I do this? Or what if I've done this? Or what if my past look like that? I don't look like that guy. God, reset all of that with Jesus. God, may we view him on the cross and may we take ourselves to the foot of the cross and understand that he went there for us. God, and you now see us as perfect and righteous and holy so that we can have a perfect relationship with you. Father, reset our thinking. And we pray this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.